Mark, I'm guessing that you have a question for me. Actually, I don't have a question. Are I just kidding? was thinking, oh my God, Joe's going to ask me what the question is and I don't have a question. I've had canoes on my mind a lot though lately. So how much time have you spent in a canoe? That's a kind of a sore point. Thanks for bringing that up. Mark. Oh, sorry. I had, yeah. well, there you go. You never know what happens with these blind questions. Nobody has ever invited me on a canoe trip. And that's uh, it's painful to me. Oh, I'm sorry. And now I live in New Brunswick, where there's all sorts of great rivers for canoeing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so now I'm hoping that... Have you ever been in a canoe, though? I so have. if I took yeah. you on a trip down the Miramichi, would you be able to draw at the right moment so we didn't hit a rock or... I believe I would. Okay, yes. all right, all yes. right. Well, then maybe I, I can go head out to New Brunswick and we can do a canoe trip. I'm in. Absolutely. What about our guest? Can she come with us? Yeah, absolutely. Penn, have have you spent much time in a canoe? I went as a camper to Camp Queen Elizabeth in Beausoleil Island, and uh, the neighbor was a camp counselor and a great big brawny football player who taught us canoeing. And uh, you had to flip over the canoe. You had to flip it over and then right yourself. Mm -hmm. And he passed me even though I didn't do it right. So I wouldn't think you would want me. <laughs> well, you could take a gentler river, so one that we don't have to worry about the rapids. And I would never turn anybody away, Not, never having been invited and been hurt by that. You know, <laughs> I welcome anybody into my canoe. And you know what? That's the first overnight camp that I ever went to as well. Oh, it was wonderful, that pink crystalline granite. Mm. Beautiful. beautiful. So, Penn Kemp, I should say your last name. Normally, what we do here is we have the guests introduce themselves so they can frame their own reality. So, could you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? I Hopefully, some of them already know because you're a fairly famous poet. Yes. In London, Ontario. At least in London, Ontario. <laughs> you are first poet laureate. I mean, come on. The first, <laughs> and you did it for what, two or three years? So, I did. It went. Yeah. Extremely extended. <laughs> yes, I'm a, a poet and a playwright, a failed novelist, as well as a failed <laughs> canoeer tipper. But <laughs> I've returned to London, Ontario after 40 years away, and I love it here. I couldn't wait to escape 20, 40 years, 60 years ago, but here I am back. That's interesting. What, what changed? I think age and decay. I think at 21... I got married and, and fled, like was going to do the grand tour and all that. This was 1966, yeah, which does tend to date me. So we moved back here 20 years ago when my mother had a stroke and happily have, have lived here. I don't know because I, I grew, my, my father was an artist, Jim Kemp, and so I grew up in the very fabulous poetry and art scene of the uh, 60s here with Jack Chambers and Greg and, and all the people of that era. So it wasn't that I was, I think London, though, was such a military town. It was still sort of a garrison town. And uh, when I came back, it was much more, um, much more interesting, shall we say. Hmm. Now, yeah, so I wonder, was was it London that changed or you? <laughs> I think 40 years difference had something to do with it. It's great to have you on the podcast. So Mark had mentioned you've been a poet laureate and uh, you're highly accomplished with a, a fair body of work. Yeah, I think you're our first poet laureate on this podcast, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. 
definitely I'm our first poet laureate. So <laughs> welcome. Yes, I've, I've read the other uh, people you've had on, and and there's no poets yet. So I'm not only the first poet laureate, I'm the first poet. And I guess my first thing I want to ask you is just about poetry. What about poetry drives you? Springtime, springtime. I mean, flowers coming out of a long hiatus. What I've always been a poet, I think, in in terms of my disposition of my the way I perceive things, perhaps it's being left-handed, but mm-hmm. um, I've always perceived things on the slant uh, differently. And uh, poetry was the way that I could actually articulate the visual movie that was in my head into words and uh, give them form, articulate that which hasn't been articulated. That's wonderful. You, you mentioned your father was a painter. Did that have an influence on? It sure did, because I had some talent. I inherited some talent, but uh, I wanted to be drawing beautiful princesses in flowing robes. <laughs> and he gave me a book on uh, structure and, and the, the body as architecture. And he criticized my uh. attempts. So I just shifted from drawing to poetry. Oh, my goodness. So he, he discouraged you? He critiqued me, yeah. But he didn't critique my writing. And and the other thing that probably helped make me a poet was that in this household growing up, and I live in the house that I grew up in, which is just very, because I'm surrounded by art. But if I were caught reading, I would be allowed to continue the book. I would never be asked to do chores if I were doing anything else, playing games, uh, arguing with my brother, anything. I'd be curtailed into ditching, washing. But if I was reading, I was left alone. So I'm a reader, and if you're a reader, <laughs> then you're you you of necessity become a writer. <laughs> my mother was always trying to shoo me outside into the sunshine. So I loved rainy days because then she wouldn't bug me. I I was left alone to read. I want to ask you about poetry. We were blessed at the CBC. We took poetry and still do, I I believe, seriously there. And we had uh, a specialist on staff, Barb Carey, who uh, curated. Are you familiar with Barb? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the state of poetry is today in in this country and the world? I think that the marginalized poets that have not had their voices are finally being recognized. I think they're on juries now and on publishing boards. And I think that's a really, really fine thing. It's so necessary, essential now. It's as difficult for me to get published as an old white woman as it was in 72 when Coach House did my first book, Bearing Down. So that's interesting. And it keeps you on your toes. It's astonishing. For Poetry Month, I've tried to read a poetry book a day, which has been a challenge. I think I got up to 28. And I, all the books came from the library, thanks to the London Library, which has a good selection of new work. And most of it was books that were not my friends. And of course, having been on the scene for so, so long, like almost 60 years, the <laughs> it's it was mostly books that I wouldn't have picked up 
by myself because I, I would be normally reading my friend's work and that would keep me busy enough. But the library was presenting new work by so many young new writers of color, BIPOC, all that, and, and um, some very fine writing. It's very interesting to me. Well, that kind of leads us sort of sort of a segue into the purpose of the of the podcast which is to have you talk about a piece of art i'm guessing it's poetry that has inspired you or that inspires you did you do your homework i did okay i'm going to talk about collaboration because that was is what really inspires me just as conversations i just heard eleanor wachtel talking to carol shields about she, Carol, was talking about the importance of, of talk, of how it stimulates and how it changes you and it has you growing. And, and I think collaborations, because, of course, we're so widespread, this beautiful country of ours. And, and, and finance is, is tricky because on, in poetry months, we usually, uh, the poets get sent coast to coast to coast or not coast to coast to coast, just coast to coast usually, but, but that's dwindling the, the amount of money available. So I mean, what I used to do is organize poetry series to see my friends or to, uh, when I first started in 1973, this was a coach house base in Toronto asked me to uh, set up a poetry series. And so I got to, thanks to Victor Coleman, I invited all the poets that I loved, that I had read. And, and they became, the women of them, became my good friends, like Daphne Marlett or Robert Creeley became a good friend, Alan Ginsberg. And so that led me to, when I moved, I was a gypsy for those 40 years that I wasn't in London, and I lived, I started a poetry series in Victoria for a little while. And then back in London in 1980, for just a couple of months, I started a series at Forest City Gallery. And it was that, at that time, it was a way of, of uh, inviting my friends to visit and read. But it led me into, I think my first collaboration was with Daphne Marlett. And it, it came out in a book that Coach has printed. It, it was called Transform, and it was a collaboration with her. But then we got into, lately I've been collaborating with Harold Rennish, and I was writer-in-residence at a, a fabulous art community hub called Catani House in Vernon, B.C., and in the fall of um, 2018, where I met Harold and we connected about the land because I'm always keen to know the the herbs and the trees of the places where I am. And also Sharon Thiessen lives nearby. So for both of those friends, the friendship continued through poetry. And um, I've been working since the Ukrainian war on a, a book with Harold called uh, The Black Keys of Kiev which we've submitted. And then uh, in 2018, when I came home, 2019, Sharon and I had spent a year writing poetry, a poem each month. So it became 24 poems, 24 pages, and it became a chapbook that Gap Riot put out. 
And that was just an extraordinary joy, having that constraint on us to produce one poem a month to each other was was a, a lovely kind of uh, push. Now, was that a conversation? So would you read her poem and then reply yes. with your yeah. poem and then she'd read yeah. yours? And that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. It's like it's she, like very old-fashioned idea of let, how letters used to be the way that people connected, but with poetry. What is that word? Epistolatory, something like that. That is. <laughs> From the epistles. <laughs> According to the epistles. Yeah. So so the, the work that you're bringing forward is a collaboration that you've done with these two other... Well, the work that I'm bringing forward as, a, as an object is called PS, because there was always a PS in our letters back and forth. This is all Gmail. So we called it PS, yeah. And then a Quebecois writer, Nancy Long, she took it up and published a number of these poems in a book for a French-English. She translated the poems, and they were translated in her first edition of a, a magazine called Femme de Parole, Woman of Their Word, number two. That She had a big Zoom then where poems from P.S. were read by Sharon and myself and translated by the editor Nancy Arlange. And that also is very exciting. The whole process of translation is is fabulous. Do you speak another language, or I vaguely speak French. <laughs> and después de vero de vino, I speak some Spanish. <laughs> but just last night, I um, was on a Zoom with Professor Miguel Neve, and he had me talk about the Thames River, the Antler River, which is so colonized and just like this palimpsest of the colonial English desire to recreate home on this foreign, scary landscape. It's called Antler River. As Mark well knows, it's a, it, there's a fork of the Thames where the north and south meet like antlers. But he had me in conversation with a professor of ecology who had written a book on the Madeira River, which flows into the Amazon. And before Harper cut the Canada Council grants for travel and for supplying um, money to, it's called ABACAN, which is the Association of Canadian Studies in Brazil, they had me there and and sent me all around Brazil to read. And so I was there uh, in t- 20 years ago, and they took me on a not into the Rio Madero, and we saw these pink dolphins leaping. And Oh, wow. Now, were you in a canoe at the time? Or? <laughs> a rather large canoe with a deck. With a motor? <laughs> motor, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's no pink dolphins in London. <laughs> no. So pink dolphins and what what were you drinking at the time? <laughs> uh, well it was it was sort of pink and uh, no. <laughs> pink yeah. I'm going to jump in there cuz I I would totally support us changing the name of the Thames River to the Antlered River oh, or even the original indigenous yeah. word for it. I can't pronounce it so I'm not going to try. Uh, it's called either the Asinisippi uh, uh, or the Deshkan. Yeah. I, I have to profess my ignorance here. So you guys are living in London, Ontario, yeah. Canada, and there's yeah. a Thames. And we have a Thames. And frankly, Joe, it's it's just embarrassing. 
<laughs> I mean, the streets, the main, some of the main thoroughfares are Oxford Street and Wellington. It's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a palimpsest of the yeah, original. You know, they're just trying to recreate yeah, this whole. Yeah. The main park is called Victoria Park. Yeah. Did you say a palimpsest? I palimpsest. didn't, but that sounds like fun. It's the word palimpsest, where you've got a piece of parchment or vellum, and you can read it underneath what's there before. So the real Thames, the Iskinsippi, or is just underneath this this layer that's applied of colonial autocratic right. yeah. thinking. Do you know what the early early French settlers in the region called the Thames? <laughs> La tranche. La tranche. <laughs> the ditch. Because <laughs> it does kind of look like that part of the year when it gets muddy. Yeah. It's pretty – it yeah. doesn't look yeah. like much of a river. We, we have a river like that here in yeah. Riverview. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I just wanted to say that we've had some high-caliber guests on this this podcast, but you're the first one that has impressed me with their vocabulary, which – and I would expect no less – from a poet laureate. It's after all the pink lemonade, right? <laughs> <laughs> How much of that stuff do you consume? <laughs> I, you don't have to answer that. I, I want to hear more about this collaboration and, and about the nature of the the poems. Hmm? Well, now, we'll, we'll get you to read one, a sample later. But first, just tell us what kind of poetry it is. Well, Sharon's and my styles are very different. She's much... Uh, my my. I'm a sound poet, so... For me to put words on the page, they have to, and because of being a daughter of a painter, I think visually as well as orally, so they set, they tend to go across the page as in field poetics. And Sharon has just had a, a new book, a collection out from Talon Books. Uh, our thinking is very different. She, she was based on um, Blue Mountain Poetics, like Black Mountain Poetics, it might probably be based more on Blue Mountain, whatever that is. I've just made it up, but <laughs> it's a different kind of poetics. But we love each other as, as friends, and we share, I think poets share a sensibility of of wonder. So you're a sound poet, and how does she differ from that? See, I, I want to get into the nitty-gritty of poetry here. I want to understand. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what a black mountain poet it would be, what that would mean. Charles Olson and, and Robert Creeley had this school of poetics in Northern California, and it was field poetry where you did use the whole page to, and you worked with the breath to end the lines and so on. So it was breaking out of modernists like Eliot or Pound. And it was very influential in BC, which is where Sharon was raised in. And my background actually is more traditional. I went through Western through Honors English and got a master's at OEC and so on. So it was very, and she has an academic background as well. She taught for many years at UBCO in the Okanagan. See, Mark, I, I feel like there's a whole depth and world of poetry here that we could oh. dig into that I am large, I can't speak for you, but I'm largely ignorant of it. Well, what I should do is read you the poems so I could demonstrate the difference because, you know. Yeah, re yeah read, read one of what, one of each. And then, yeah, I will. And then that will give, us, that'll give the yeah. listeners a sense because they won't be able to see the words, though, which I it think is an matter. important yeah. component. Well, yeah. but she's a sound poet. Yeah. So. Now, but know that we only have 40 minutes left. <laughs> I promise not to. 
go over. <laughs> but I, I, it's interesting that the poem for April is about Diane de Prima, and she is one of the beat poets that I invited to read at Ace Face, and we became friends, and she just recently died in 2019, I think. I'm not sure. So I will read my poem, which and I, I guess I would call my poetry when it's on the page is more like mythopoeic. So it's it's being very much based on Northrop Frye's sense of the imagination. And uh, Sharon's is, is in interesting ways more given to the events of her daily life, colloquial conversation. But let me let me read these these two poems happen to be the ones for April, so it's, um, um, I could read the ones for me, of course, but I think I will read the ones for April just because we were talking about Diane yeah. de and this will give you, Joe, a sense of her as well, because she was okay. a darling little alchemical, be- fierce, revolutionary beatnik. She wrote pieces like uh, La Loba, the Wolf, for revolutionary letters. She was really a tough, Center. So the beat poetry, that, that would be like Allen Ginsberg, would it? Yeah. And Allen was a friend as well. He came up through a space and Kerouac, but that's it's later. Right. Yeah. Okay. She, Diane the Prima, tinier than in her prime at a space, reading wrapped in a dun protective cloak of her own devising 45 years ago, but still inviting us to run with her noble lord, inviting us to her den, and then always in stride, la loba, and the many cubs she fostered. Proportion varies inversely seen through the other end of telescope. Time withers, whether or not we must be caught by its tether or run free through obscure alchemical forests red and black. High winds knock down the back fence of our walled garden, opening out to sun, to highway din. Ontario, the beautiful, flattened to remnants of magnificence. Across jet stream back to you, in B.C., in Kelowna, the hill house where I imagine you writing, impervious to flood, but to summer firestorms more susceptible. May our places be safe and the people in them. Our dear Diane may well shrivel to grasshopper dimension and be blown off by the next gust. Her words stay with us. As if that ever is enough to replace person, as if place could be counted on to stay put. As if we didn't know we too will be what remains mystery, an open ending to the end. Wow. Am I allowed to applaud? <laughs> yeah. A great performance. Thank you. Yes, that is so well read. Yeah. You know, a great poem, well read. Thank you. Yeah. So I will read Sharon's reply. Mm-hmm. April, out west. The poetry deal, Diane de Prima said, was the real deal. 
out west, San Francisco, where she moved from New York and stayed, came up to Vancouver to read a couple of times, angelic on the stage, her gentle voice and long black hair, her many gifts and intelligence, to live the way she did, always with love or in love, put up with things she cast as beautiful a light as herself in circumstances and writing now diminished and elderly declining to be on the film due to ravages of parkinson's i'm thinking of her so much today and the poetry deal and penn's visit to the west coast amid really tall and big trees creaking with crows and ravens fish bones and pieces of glitter the poem in its moments <laughs> i got chills of that one too nice that's great my my uh, corvids are a real theme in this podcast eh joe <laughs> yes that's ravens right. and crows <laughs> creak, creak. creaking with crows creak, and ravens creak, 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 creak. Creaking, that's a great one the poetry deal. I, I have to ask. So you described yourself as a as a sound poet. When you read, there was a musical quality to your read. Do you ever feel the urge to set your poetry to music? Yes, but I myself was one of those ones at Reasonville Public School, which who were by Mr. Golding asked to stay in the choir because I was so tall and knew all the words to all the songs, and was told to mute, never sing, never. Oh open. no! You and had two. You had two critics. I had two critics. Imagine how. That's I crazy. <laughs> so you were told to be mute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just took it for granted because I couldn't carry a tune. And so when I work with jazz, I've worked with many, many jazz and other musicians. I've done a whole bunch of sound operas at the Aeolian and different places. And it's always me conducting because uh, I can't follow anybody else. <laughs> they have put your words to music? Yeah, they they usually, like I'm doing a... a performance uh, in in July with Bill Gilliam at the Transac and uh, we've worked together a lot so we've done something called Night Orchestra so he's taken my words and there would be a lot of sound and improvised my sound and he would take them and sample them or play piano alongside to balance or to reflect or to respond so it's call and response in some ways yeah that must be very rewarding to... it's so much fun it's so exhilarating and the lovely thing of sound poetry of course is that uh, nobody knows what you're doing and and um, they can't <laughs> correct you <laughs> except that's not true i once with that book called transform that i told you about i was in at U, U of A in edmonton this would be 76 and all these students 35 of them had a copy of my book, which had this semi-nude woman on the cover in bright yellow. And I did the performance, which was very, very vocal. And they turned the pages correctly and at the end said, 
that I was doing it wrong, that I, I wasn't following my own text. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's just style. <laughs> Mark said that he met you when he, you were what? Not, I, uh, I, I'm guessing, so you said you were back in London in 1980. Were you reading in schools then? I was just there for a couple of months. Okay. So I came back with my husband in 2001 when my mother had a stroke. Mm. Had to take care of her, and we moved into her house. Yeah. Did you ever do readings in London, apart from the time since you've been living here? Because I have a yes, vivid memory of your of your yes. reading some of your poetry. Uh, I think from my grade nine class. Oh, that's so fun! And what I go to. I th it was Lucas. Yes, I was. I performed in Lucas, and I. Yeah. We loved it. We had no idea what just happened. No, no, I didn't know that, Mark. That's you, so you read, fun. you read. I think two or three poems, and I, 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 you could have heard a pin drop. We were all just like, "What is, what is happening?" <laughs> it was wonderful. Why is this happening? But I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Well, usually they're participatory, so I get the kids, the students, or the kids. I did a performance at. Um, a couple of days ago for Poetry Month, and I have people do a uh, sound poem with me. I think you're asking me to do some sort of sound piece. No, no, I'm not really. I just was just. <laughs> I just say, you know, I, I do. I do think you're really good at making the music of your poetry come out. Thanks. Now, can I ask a, a silly question? So, if your if your poetry is uh, is put to music and then essentially becomes a lyric. And, and lyrics are kind of poems in a way. What is the difference between poetry and lyrics? Or is there one? Oh, it's certainly a lot, a whole school, a whole form of poetry is the lyric. It's called lyric poetry. So it's poetry that sings and and certainly has structure, the same as a, a song. But not set to music. Well, um, I'm thinking of... I was I did teach for three years and um, in the uh, late sixties and of course I could at that point I was free to teach Joni Mitchell or Leonard Cohen and, and this was in Earl Haig in Toronto or up north in Timmins um, and those songs were poems of course. In fact, that was it was Leonard Cohen I was thinking of. And he was he's a very fine poet. I mean he he spent hours and days and years crafting, I, I don't know how many renditions of Hallelujah, for example. Oh, yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was there many different, because... Oh, my God, yeah. There's my One of my favorite stories about pop music ever is he meets Dylan somewhere at a concert, and Dylan says, hey, I really love that song you got there, Hallelujah. And Cohen, who is a pretty shy man, I think, said, well, thank you very much. I really like Highway 61. How long did that take you to write? And Bob Dylan's like, I don't know, it's half an hour or something like that. <laughs> How long did it take to write Hallelujah? And Cohen said, I think four years. Yeah. And he's lying. He still was writing verses for it. He probably wrote more that day. <laughs> Aren't you do a great Bob Dylan? Yeah. I, I guess I need to work on my Leonard Cohen to. Yeah. I spent the last year actually. Uh, memorizing Alleluia, and it's it's got like five or six verses to it. So oh, it's oh, there's there's, there's at least thirty verses, Joe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Are you going to yeah. give us a little song? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, I I read some rendition 
in a recent book where it truly was biblically based. Like I saw her bathing on the roof. That was David watching Bathsheba. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great, well, okay. A uh, little secret about me. I, I entertain myself when I'm walking my dog by memorizing and singing songs. Oh, now, she, now you're going to shift to poems and memorize and sing poems. Well, chant, recite. I will, I will consider that. <laughs> <laughs> consider is a very interesting word. You know, it begins con with sedere with the stars. So by considering, you are eliciting the whole magic of the cosmos to be with you. I meant to do that. I thought so. <laughs> Hallelujah. You, you've got to be aligned. <laughs> wow. But I, yes, I should memorize uh, your poetry. Now, did you know um, Phyllis Gottlieb? No. I knew Phyllis Webb. She was the woman I was trying to think of when, when I was thinking of people that I got to know and love from having them come. And I visited her in 2018 when I was last in BC. And she did marvelous things on CBC. And she loved my sound operas and kept trying to get me to send them to Bill. Bill. Bill Lane? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm actually quite shy and don't send stuff much, so that I never got to. But yeah, her work yeah. is amazing. She'd be good to memorize. Now, you said you had met Eleanor Wachtel. Did she interview you for her show? Or? No, I was up in the Yukon. I was doing a performance there and she. She didn't much like it, so we've never uh, corresponded at all again. Wait a minute, what? Yep. Eleanor didn't, didn't like your performance? Poetry. No, no, she didn't. We're hearing some painful uh, oh, uh, memories God. from you today, it seems like. Cracked. Oh, the life of a suffering poet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all grist for the mill. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, yeah. no, no, it's just... I mean, sound poetry isn't for everybody. You have to be open to weirdness. But it's subjective, isn't it? Like, nobody has the right to criticize poetry. It's you put the poetry out there, and you don't have to like it. But... She didn't criticize it. She just walked out. I think that was a very active form of saying, I think I prefer poems. Maybe maybe she had to use the washroom. Or... Yes. A long time, though, she didn't come back. I mean, this is not this is not therapy. I did not mind. I didn't. I just was. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think. I, I. I think it's fair to say that you're a performer, as well yeah. as a poet. So yeah. you have to recognize as a performer, Joe, that sometimes you're not someone's cup of tea. That just happens. You know, <laughs> it wasn't even somebody's cup of pink lemonade. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think all of us can, yeah, relate to the to rejection in you know, whether writing uh, a fiction or poetry or. It just comes with the territory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you have and, to. And yeah. We develop. I, I have a very, I don't really care because I'm writing for people who can take it into their hearts. And if they don't, that's, it doesn't bother me at all because I recognize that my way of thinking or perceiving is different. It's neurodivergent. And so why would somebody who is text-based like something that is so in your face or in your ears. Well, and you know, and they may not like it at one point in their life right. and then come to like it later because, yeah. you know, I have to admit that I did not appreciate Leonard Cohen early in my life. And now I find myself quite amused, you know, as I'm walking the pooch, mm -hmm. you know, singing 
Leonard Cohen lyrics, yeah. thinking, wait, I thought you, I thought you didn't like Leonard Cohen. No, I guess I do. Yeah. You know, it so. it's so personal, and it does shift with time and with the with custom, and we are social beings, so it's it's all tied up as well with groupthink, like you know somebody. Leonard Cohen is now popular, so you get to listen to him a little more carefully than he would if he were just out on the margins. Well, and I, and I guess it was is probably made palatable to me or more attractive to me by hearing Katie Lang sing oh, God. Leonard oh, Cohen. That's an amazing rendition yeah. of that song. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I liked I well I was uh, I I was not like you, Joe. I was on the Leonard Cohen last much earlier in my life. Well, you're much more sophisticated. Well, I don't know about are. that. <laughs> but at the same time, to be fair, I also studied Shakespeare. So I think you have to have some kind of love for poetry or you're never going to get through Shakespeare. Yeah. If you can't absorb the rhythms of it, yeah. it's really impossible to, to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And I've been blessed and fortunate to have seen Shakespeare performed by the best at Stratford. Yes. Just and, just yeah. down the road from London, sorry. Down the road. <laughs> yeah. Someone's yeah. going to think that this the London Tourist Bureau is supporting this podcast or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is still you can appreciate it. I saw King Lear with uh, King Fiore, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's good, but I'm it's it's challenging. Oh, for sure. Yeah, if if you don't really know what's going on. Some of them can be very challenging, especially the history plays. I, I think. just did an evening yeah. of, of people gathered together, and I had because poems for joy was the theme of of uh, National Poetry Month, and so I had them do. Actually, three people clamored, including myself, to do Chaucer. So Chaucer, mm -hmm. if you read it, you 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 really what I asked them to do is put themselves in the frame of as if you're understanding, as if you're listening to Welsh and you understand it, as if you're listening to German and, and French from the Normans. So if you put yourself into that space of acceptance as a child learns, then, then you're, you, you aren't fighting the understanding. Right. Yeah, you're welcoming it. And, and I have to say that, you know, the, you know, the couple of performances of Shakespeare that I saw, it's amazing how an excellent performer can give meaning to the words. Of course. You know, because they're not just reciting the lines. They're making those lines mean what they're supposed to mean, even if they're using different language than we're accustomed to. And it's They are enacting the words. They're putting the act, their word, into form, into mm -hmm. physical form. Yeah. yeah, it has to, as, as someone who had to do Shakespeare in acting class and actually did some Shakespeare – yeah, you have to, as an actor, you have to understand what it is you're saying, A. And then B, you have to then do all the other things that actors do when they're doing a scene, which is you've got to have something that you're trying to accomplish in the scene. You have to have an emotion that you're trying to, to, to touch uh, that you want the audience to feel. So all of those things go into it. But yeah, you have to start. But that's what's hard about it because sometimes, you know, as actors, we're not that bright. And, uh, and it's, and we have, don't have that kind of training, literary training. So you have to really work hard. And that's where the director is so important or the dramaturge is if you've got someone who kind of has done that hard work of understanding what this could mean so that you can explain that to the, the people who are going to do the scene, that really makes a big difference. So it's not just the performer. It's also a lot of work ah. going on behind the scene. 
Right. Um, I'm always yes. afraid that directors don't get their due because um, yeah. a really good director can just make an okay performance sparkle and come alive because they can get the actor up the rung to the next level. But even as a, a performer of poetry, what I'm attempting to do when I'm performing is to physicalize the words. Mm-hmm. So they come through my body. It's a, a I'm so aware of, of what my mouth is doing, what my lips are doing, what my arms or hands are doing. Well, yes, because and we noticed that in your performance, and you know, and I'll call it a performance because it was a performance. You know what you did with us today? You really lifted off the page. That's and, exactly yeah. that. The, the attempt is to embody the words so that they can be received from my heart to your heart. Right? Would Would you be willing to do one more before we we end up today? Yes, ask me for a month and I will do whatever. Well, I was going to actually suggest uh, Surprised by Joy. I think you sent that to us. Oh, Surprised by Joy. Oh, sure. It's, 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 uh, I think I actually have it right here. And I'm sure that I want to hear what Joe has to say about some of the vocabulary. Oh. There's a couple words there that I know what they are, but I don't know how they sound. Right. There's one word, hexicity. Hexicity, okay. I had to. It means the presence of yeah. this. And I yeah. just, the meaning was so important to me. I had no idea. I'd read it in John Banville, right? Yeah. A very erudite Irish writer. So I look it up on Google and I go to pronounce, Google pronounce, and found out how to pronounce it. So I practiced that word. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that anything else here is not, but that word caught me. And then it was chosen as the... Um, Poem for Joy featured in National Poetry Month by the mm-hmm. League of Poets. And they could only show too many or so many verses. So they, this blessed be hexicity starts the fourth verse. And the poem that they showed started with the first blessed be hexicity. Well, <laughs> everybody's going to say, yeah, so you just go bless that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, you had to open it up. You'd see the full one, <laughs> but I didn't get any comments on that. I thought it would, but, but yeah, that Mark, that's the one you picked up, right? Yeah. I, I really quite enjoyed it. And there's, mm. I think there's something about it, but well, it's very spring-like. It's got a spring kind yeah. of feeling to it. Spring. All right. Well, I, I look forward to to hearing this. Is that okay, Joe? Absolutely. Can I suggest to that? Yeah, I just if you don't mind, Pat. Yeah. yeah. I never mind performing. <laughs> uh, it was um, adapted from "Surprised by Joy," which is in River Reverie, and a number of poems Mary MacDonald put them into video. So here's again where the painter in me gets realized because. As an artist, she put them into uh, poetry films, video poems on riverreverie.ca. So one more drink and I'm up. Boy, that lemonade goes down smoothly. I wish we were all in the same room so we could, yeah. Yes, I know. I share. I share gladly. Surprised by joy. Blessed be here. Blessed be clever cardinals who vary their song into language only other cardinals interpret. Blessed be red squirrels who scold all intruders into silence beneath. Blessed be hostas and fern the mix of wild with cultivated. Blessed be the cultivated 
soil that allows for splendid fluorescence. Blessed be the breakers upon the shore. Blessed be hushed wing of crow, and after landing on spruce branch, a rocket. Blessed be the interchange of story, space to be alone together. Blessed be the quiet. Blessed be hexicity, an expanse of time. Blessed be completion. Blessed be night that covers the cottage in a moire spread and seeps into warm dreams of possibility. Blessed be old, bare, black cherry, dead in winter's past glass but ready to turn now into fire's best wood, slow-burning hot. Blessed be the poets whose refrains run through their still-too-busy brains, still listening till dawn chorus bursts into joy and celebration of the daily begins again in jubilation in improbable hope arising. The wonderful thing about that poem was that it was translated by Miguel Neve and read in Portuguese last night to oh, wow. Oh, wow. lots of people throughout Brazil. Well, thank you so much for doing that, Ben. You're welcome. My pleasure. Absolutely. I got the in, right? That took me places too. Another, yeah, there's another crow in there. Plus, it that was in my my garden for a moment there with the cardinals and the hostas and the ferns, and then you took me somewhere London else. London is the cardinal center of uh, the yeah, universe. I just originally learned that, which is weird. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you for that. They should pay us, Mark. <laughs> they should be. They should be giving us some kind of stipend. <laughs> Penn Kemp, thank you very much for being on our podcast, Recreative. Fun to be with you and fun to uh, chatter away. Wonderful thing you're doing. Thank you, Penn. So, Mark, you and I have discussed how people can support this podcast and... Uh, one of the ways I would like to get them to support us is by, and I think you're going to like this, by uh, purchasing one of your books. Ooh, I like that. How about your books? We're going to start with your books. We'll start with my books? Okay. And today I would like to point people in particular to Alpha Max, which is a novel about the metaverse, which is kind of in vogue these days. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't take a lot of the standard approaches that the metaverse stories do. I think it's a bit more grounded. It's funny and it's, uh, and it's witty. And it's smart and it's entertaining. Go to recreative.ca slash support and you can find our books there. Alpha Max by Mark A. Rayner.